0: Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. So today, I'm going to go into a whole lot greater detail, specifically about how maybe your low-carb, high-protein, or even ketogenic diet may not be fixing your insulin resistance or basically your mitochondrial function at the cell, and maybe you haven't been achieving the weight loss you desire. Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. I spoke about these 12 different reasons why women experience weight gain and especially have a harder time losing weight when they're in their 40s and above in a series of uh, podcasts several months ago. And you can go back and listen to those. But I, I've had a lot of questions online where people really wanted me to go much more in-depth about each individual situation and, and the chemistry behind that. So I'm gonna get a little geeky today, but I, I want you to understand this because I think this is a big mechanism, particularly for a lot of women where we get stuck. And it has a lot to do with how we're genetically wired as humans, but also our hormones play a role. So today I'm going to talk specifically about a thing called the polyol pathway. So the polyol pathway is a process in our body that helps us break down sugars. When we eat sugars, our body converts them to a sugar called glucose, which is then used for energy. The polyol pathway is another way that our body can get rid of excess glucose. So here's how it works when there's too much glucose in the body an enzyme called aldose reductase converts it into a sugar called sorbitol. Now, if you've heard of sorbitol or you think you've heard of sorbitol, you have, because it's a common sugar substitute because it is non-caloric, but it is a common substitute used in things like uh, candies and gum. But sorbitol, once it is produced either by the enzyme aldose reductase or in your food, it gets broken down into another sugar called fructose. So fructose can be used for energy or stored in our liver and our muscle and our fat cells. The thing is, is when there's too much sorbitol and fructose being produced and not enough being used, it's going to cause a problem. For one, it can lead to insulin resistance, which is when our bodies are having trouble using insulin. It can also lead to risks for conditions like type 2 diabetes and obesity. So when there's too much fructose being stored in the liver, because that's where it's going to happen first, then our muscles, then it's going to get led to your fat cells. So it leads to weight gain. And that's because fructose can be converted into fat more easily than glucose or any other sugars. So in a nutshell, the polyol pathway is a pathway that our body breaks down and uses excess sugars. But when there's too much of it happening, it leads to insulin resistance and weight gain. And it's important to be mindful of those sugar intake that we're getting, both from your regular sugars like table sugars. Obviously, we don't want to eat, ever do high fructose corn syrup, but we have other intake of fructose in our diet, and we may be getting some sorbitol in our diet also. But there's a whole lot more to the story. So the polyol pathway is also stimulated by salt intake and dehydration. This was first alluded to by Dr. Rick Johnson's work, um, who's a nephrologist from the University of Colorado, and now it has been repeated. And there's many, many studies that have looked into this exact pathway. This should stop you in your tracks. So you might be wondering, how is the polyol pathway related to dehydration and salt intake? So here's the deal. When we eat a lot of salt or when we're dehydrated, it leads to an imbalance in the fluids in your body. This causes our kidneys to work harder to get rid of excess salt which can lead the production to more aldose reductase, the enzyme that helps kick off the polyol pathway. So what does that mean? So let's say you don't let a single ounce of real fructose go past your mouth. You're not doing any high fructose corn syrup. You're really watching out for even table sugar intake that's partially uh, fructose. And you're, you're doing everything you can to reduce the fructose in your diet. If you are dehydrated, and you intake carbohydrate content, your body can convert that to fructose through the polyol pathway. So you could be eating something like, let's say a pasta, gluten-free pasta. Let's assume maybe you're having a cheat meal and you're a little bit dehydrated. That is predominantly glucose in, in its composition, the, the carbohydrate content. It is going to get transitioned into fructose through the polyol pathway, lead to fat production in the liver, and then fat storage. To sum it up, if we eat a lot of salt or are chronically dehydrated, it could lead to the imbalance in the fluids in the body, which lead to our kidneys working harder. And this can lead to the production of more aldose reductase and kick off that polyol pathway, which is going to contribute to insulin resistance and weight gain. And so it's really important to be mindful of hydration. You have got to make sure that you're hydrated appropriately, particularly before eating. And what's interesting about Dr. Rick Johnson and his team's work is they did find that if you consumed enough water before having a really salty meal, it mitigated this action. So if you're going out and you're going to have, oh, heaven forbid, maybe a pizza, which is extremely salty. It would be good to go in hydrated so you can effectively improve that entire pathway. Did you know that the loss of estrogen and the variability of estrogen that happens in perimenopause, but particularly once we hit menopause, actually makes that process worse? As you know, menopause is a natural transition all women go through that ends the, you know our reproductive years. But one thing that happens is we have this extraordinary decline in estrogen levels. We basically cliff dive one day and finally they're over. Estrogen plays a role in regulating the polyol pathway. Some studies have found that estrogen can inhibit the activity of aldose reductase. So it may actually help reduce the production of fructose. And of course, we know genetically some people are going to be more likely to do this. That means when you're in your 20s and 30s and you have adequate estrogen, you may have had some protection of this basic production of sorbitol and then into fructose. If the estrogens decline, then we're going to have more of this activity just because our body can do that. And that means fructose is going to be converted into fat more easily. So the decline in estrogens that happen in menopause may lead to the increased production of sorbitol and fructose through that polyol pathway. The polyol pathway is going to convert glucose to sorbitol and then activate that pathway and then we get fat storage. The other thing that the polyol pathway does is it activates a response to high levels of oxidative stress. So it actually increases oxidative stress inside the cell. So you go, Betty, all right, what the heck is oxidative stress? So oxidative stress is the damage that occurs just just from your body producing energy. So our body produces a lot of byproducts that we have to detoxify. Our antioxidants go in and help sort of quench that fire. But oxidative stress leads to damage inside the cell and things like advanced glycation end products, which end up damaging your mitochondria, which are your powerhouse. And so if you don't have good antioxidant production and good antioxidant levels, this is going to make it worse. And if you haven't gone back and listened to my podcast where I talk about my personal genetics with Kashif Khan from the DNA company, you can go back and listen to that and recognize that I don't have good antioxidant pathways. I can't make an antioxidant called SOD very well, superoxide dismutase, and I also don't make and recycle and rebuild glutathione very well. So depending on how you're wired genetically, you may be more likely to have oxidative stress, which is just going to make this worse. So essentially, loss of estrogen, increased sorbitol, increased fructose production, increased fat weight gain, and then we get more oxidative stress inside the cell, damaging the mitochondria that leads to more damaged advanced glycation end products, which, oh, I don't know, they cause like eye damage and wrinkling and All the other things, they're part of the player in diabetes and heart disease, which is going to damage your mitochondria, which then reduces your capacity to make energy. The accumulation of those ages lead to dysfunction of everything, right? So, so the advanced glycation end products have also been shown to be very active in things like neurodegenerative diseases. And so it's very important that we reduce that activity. Let's talk a little bit about this interaction between fructose And the fat switch and how that mechanism is really working. So we've already identified that that polyol and sorbitol pathway is going to lead to this fat weight gain. So what's really happening inside the cell itself? So when we eat fructose or we have glucose and we're dehydrated or we have activated that sorbitol pathway, we're going to have an increase in the production of fructose. So fructose is very different from glucose because it's metabolized by an enzyme called fructokinase, And fructokinase, we as humans went through a genetic mutation probably millions of years ago. I don't know the exact date, but it was through an ice age at when we were closer to what we would call the great apes, when we had we, um, very early human hominids. And what it allowed us to do was to be able to eat fruit and be able to put on fat so we could survive longer periods of starvation. Many other animals have this enzyme and do that as well. So when the enzyme fructokinase is activated, it uses energy and it drops the production of ATP in your cell, adenosine triphosphate. That is your energy molecule. So the actual use of fructose, particularly in the liver, is going to drop the production of ATP very quickly, leading to the formation of uric acid inside the cell. So uric acid then slows the mitochondria. So if we could take a sneak peek inside your mitochondria and actually test the uric acid in there, it would tell us if the fat switch was fully flipped on. Now, we can use our serum levels of uric acid as a surrogate marker for fructokinase and the activity of reduction of ATP. So think of it this way. Your powerhouse is now running really slowly. Um, So we can sort of guesstimate that from the serum levels. But this is the mechanism in which all hibernating animals gain weight to make a hibernation state so they can sleep for months on end without food. So they live off of their fat stores. Well, what's really interesting is when you engage this fat switch, and again, this is Rick Johnson's work and his team, and I, I am just in awe of all of their research. But when you engage this fat switch, Not only is the production of ATP reduced, but you also have the slowing of the mitochondria and you have an increase in hunger and an increase in lethargy. So you become lazy and hungry and it's mechanistic at the cell itself. So this low energy state starts to trick the body into thinking it's starving. So it activates hunger activates thirst, which causes the body to store fat as a survival mechanism, and you become insulin resistant to protect the brain because the brain must use glucose as fuel or as an alternative source. It can use your ketones from fat burning, but at this point, you're not producing ketones. And the interesting thing is fructose doesn't create satiety. So satiety is that sensation in which you feel like you've eaten and you've gotten calories and you're satisfied. Fructose does not do that, and particularly high fructose corn syrup, which leads to more eating, more desire for sugar, just more food. So in addition to the metabolism of fructose, again, the liver is going to produce all these things called reactive oxygen species, which are oxidative, uh, chemist, chemicals, which cause damage to the cells. And so therefore, then all of the damage happens inside the cell and you get a slowing down of the cell, which causes everything to slow down. What happens when the production of energy at the cell slows down in the mitochondria? So what's really happening is we have shifted to another energy source. So I want you to think of your mitochondria as a powerhouse. And in the powerhouse, we must have oxygen. So if you went to a traditional coal-burning power plant, it has to have oxygen to keep the fire going. So that keeps the smoke and basically stokes the fire. And actually a fire itself cannot continue without oxygen. So think of your mitochondria as this very powerful power plant using a ton of oxygen. Well, when you have this production of ATP that's slowing inside the cell, what happens is your body shifts from utilizing the powerhouse as efficiently to an area outside the cell called the cytosol. That's this kind of gooey part outside the cell. It's a fluid-filled region. And think of that as it moves to a campfire out front. So I can produce some energy and some heat at a campfire, but it is going to be nowhere close to my powerhouse. So the technical term for that is glycolysis. It's the metabolic pathway that converts glucose into energy in the process of production of ATP and glycolysis happens in that campfire. And it involves the breakdown of glucose into two molecules. It makes it into a thing called pyruvate, which could then be used inside the powerhouse to produce ATP, and it also produces NADH. And NADH is used to produce more ATP through the process of what they call oxidative phosphorylation. So think of that as glucose burning with oxygen, which occurs inside the mitochondria. So glycolysis can occur without the presence of oxygen. So the campfire can burn without the presence of oxygen. And when oxygen is present, the pyruvate that is produced during glycolysis is further broken down in the mitochondria through a process called aerobic respiration, which re- actually generates your ATP. So what that means is, is that's when your cell is burning with oxygen and you can actually use the, that byproduct as fuel. So that's why when you're looking at exercise, certain exercise you can do for a longer period of time and some you can't. So when you are doing sprints, let's say, what's happened is as you speed up and your heart rate increases, your oxygen levels are going to go down and your body actually flips to a more glycolysis pathway. And that's why you can't sprint for an hour. Your oxygen levels start to drop. Your production of ATP goes goes down. And then you get also a production of lactic acid, which is a byproduct of glycolysis, which, which is setting the threshold of how fast and how far you can go at that rate. So, so when we see this, when oxygen is not present, pyruvate is then converted to lactate, like I said, and then that becomes anaerobic and we become less efficient. So essentially, if you're burning in the campfire, your efficiency goes down radically. And then that's going to cause your all your powerhouses in your cells to be less effective. So essentially, instead of being a Tesla car, the high speed, fastest Tesla you can get, you have a 1984 Yugo. And that's happening in all your cells, your muscle cells, your brain cells, but it's definitely going to be in the muscle cells, particularly if we're not um, exercising and we're not efficient. Our muscle cells are going to be the first place where this stuff occurs. Glycolysis is that pathway that is relatively low production of energy compared to the regular process. Overall, glycolysis is really important, right? We need to be able to do that or otherwise we wouldn't be able to sprint or we wouldn't be able to do high intensity intervals. But it's not a place where you want to constantly be, you know, hitting that pathway at a high level, right? We want to be able to shift back and forth and metabolic flexibility happens when our body can flip back and forth between these different fuel sources. I want to summarize all this so you can actually take it and put it into action because this is often what's happening despite the fact that you're having maybe a a low-carb, high-protein or ketogenic type diet, you're getting stuck in this pathway. So let me summarize all this because I know it's super geeky and it's a lot of science content. So the polyol pathway is a process that helps us break down sugar in the body. When there's too much glucose, an enzyme called aldose reductase converts that excess sugar into sorbitol. Sorbitol is then broken down into fructose, which can be used for energy or stored in the liver, muscle, and fat cells. And fructose is more preferentially stored as fat than glucose. Excess sorbitol, whether it's from what you consume, the production of fructose, or a just overall high-carbohydrate diet or carbohydrate intake relative to dehydration, can lead to insulin resistance and weight gain. And the polyol pathway is also stimulated by the intake of salt and dehydration, which causes an imbalance of fluid and the production of more of the aldose reductase enzyme. Estrogen may regulate that polyol pathway by inhibiting the actual action of aldose reductase. So, the decline in estrogen during menopause may lead to an increase in the production of sorbitol and fructose through that pathway. The polyol pathway is activated in response also to high levels of oxidative stress that can damage the mitochondria. So, if you have a diet really low in antioxidants, or you're like me and have a very high probability of excess reactive oxygen species and oxidative stress because genetically, I don't make my own natural antioxidants like SOD, catalase, and glutathione, I am going to stimulate this polyol pathway. The other really interesting thing is, is if I'm doing exercise that induces a ton of oxidative stress because I feel like I need to burn more to help my cells be more efficient at fat burning... I may be triggering this polyol pathway just by overdoing my exercise. And so the polyol pathway is activated also in high levels of inflammation. So excessive exercise, especially when your body can't quench that burn, right? Can't produce enough antioxidants is going to cause inflammation, which is going to trigger the polyol pathway, which means even though you're working your tail off, your your cells are running at a, 20, a 1984 ugo sort of speed and that may be why you get done with your exercise you're exhausted you have poor recovery but you keep doing more of it cuz you feel like if i burn more i get more out of it and it's probably not working for me this was very true i i you know did all the things that other people do i tried doing triathlons and i trained for about a year and did an olympic distance triathlon And what was interesting is I never felt good doing that. I always felt like I was under condition despite working with a team and working with trainers. I just never felt good. And the reason why is my oxidative stress was through the roof because I'm not wired to do that. I can't clean up the damage. It was leading to inflammation. And here's the really wicked thing is I was gaining weight while doing triathlons. And I often did two a days. I'd get up and either run. Or I'd swim or I'd cycle and I'd do something later that next, later on that day. So I was burning, burning plenty or working hard enough. I was doing too much, right? So, so that's a good way to check if you're triggering the polyol pathway on top of what you're eating. All right. So it's important for you to be mindful of the sugar, the salt and the fluid intake and to get appropriate physical activity to maintain healthy levels of glucose in the body. The other thing that we think may increase some of this polyol pathway is the increased production of uric acid through dietary intakes of food. We don't have really good, clear research that maybe this is extreme. So um, Dr. Rick Johnson's work showed that this may, may play a role, but it doesn't seem to play as much of a role as these other, other markers. So if I eat foods that increase uric acid outside the cell in the serum and uric acids associated with gout. But uric acid, again, is the fat switch that's produced when there's a lack of ATP production inside the cell because the polyol pathway has been switched on. So foods that increase uric acid are things that are considered purine-rich. So things like sausage, organ meat, red meat, aged foods, cheeses, olives, umami foods, so Asian foods, things with MSG. Food preservatives, flavoring, coloring agents, while not being a source of purine, are likely to have an effect on some production of uric acid, especially the flavoring agents like MSG and other things, um, texturized vegetable protein, yeast extracts may also trigger some of this activity. And then some of those food additives, too, that contain a large amount of sugar or salt may also trigger all of this activity, which is going to lead possibly indirectly to the production of uric acid, but those things are definitely going to trigger that polyol pathway, which is obviously what we're talking about today. All of this could be part of what you're struggling with when you're doing all the right things and getting all the wrong results. And this is what I found um, doing my research. And then obviously when I created my hormone reset program for women, part of the process is to correct this polyol pathway mechanism To make sure that the cells can do what they need to do so we can become more metabolically flexible so our body can actually burn that fat appropriately, even before, you know, before we're in menopause, when we're in perimenopause, and especially after menopause, because this is one mechanism in which estrogen affects metabolic activity. I want you to go back and listen to this and really, really go through and start looking at maybe charts. So, you know, the action items from this episode. What I would recommend is go back and Just watch what you're eating, like keep a food journal or take pictures over the next three days and then go back and listen to this podcast and then start assessing what you may be doing and what you may be eating that might be triggering some of this pathway. You know, are you eating foods in a dehydrated state? Are you intaking too much salt? I can tell you I'm a saltaholic. I love salt and I just have to work really hard at making sure I'm well hydrated because you can mitigate all the damage from salt from being just appropriately hydrated. You know, so that's one of my trigger areas. Look and see how much umami foods are you using? Are you using soy sauces or tamari or, you know, your, your soy-free things like Bragg's, other things that produce that, that um, purine-rich activity or stimulate similar pathways to uric acid And then I would look at the carbohydrate content that I'm eating. And then also just look at, you know, even though you may not be doing high fructose corn syrup, are there other things in your diet that may be triggering this polyol pathway? And for those people that are way into chewing gum or doing sugar-free foods, look at sorbitol and remove that from your diet. Um, Some of the other sugar alcohols like urethritol don't do the same thing. Um, but you want to watch Sorbitol. And again, it's often in your sugar-free gums, and that could possibly be triggering this on a regular basis. I don't know of any research out there looking at that, but it may very well be. I hope you found this to be a very enlightening episode. I'd love for you to share it. If you have friends that you feel like need to hear this information, I'd love for you to hit subscribe so you can Keep on learning from all of the lovely guests I have and and learn a little bit more about how your body operates. And if you really loved this episode, give me a review. If you hated the episode, give me a review also because I really read those and they're important to me because they help me know what kind of content you really want to hear. So thank you for listening to me on Menopause Mastery. I'll be back next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at PhD, and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com.